Welcome to the Recasto Podcast. I'm your host, John Champion. And you probably say, wow, I saw the logo. It's an interesting word. What, what does that mean? Well, I'll explain. Uh, I've always loved music growing up. I uh, had a lot of records, a lot of A-tracks, a lot of cassettes. I was really into all types of music. Rock, soul, pop, country, R&B, jazz, blues, you name it. Uh, grew up reading about music, listening to a lot of music, and have just always been fascinated with the way bands and groups come together. Um, my favorite artist has always been Prince. Uh, first concert I went to, I got to see Prince, Rick James, and uh, Lenny Williams in Raleigh in 1981. I was 10 years old, so I've always been a Prince fan. As a matter of fact, this name of this podcast comes from a scene in Prince's Under the Cherry Moon. And uh, what happens in the scene, Prince and his sidekick Jerome Benton are teaching uh, Kristen Scott Thomas a valuable lesson about underestimating people and uh, giving everyone a chance, even when you don't understand what something is, just uh, learning uh, about someone's culture. And um, it's a really, really cool scene. It's something that's always stuck with me uh, from that movie. So uh, what it's all about, the podcast, it's all about bringing people together, learning about different cultures, uh, learning from different people. Uh, I like to travel. I love concerts. I love movies. And um, like I said, um, I don't really know a stranger and I know a lot of people. So I'd like to bring some of these interesting people into your world. And uh, on this episode, we're going to review a Prince album. Also, we're going to talk with a world traveler and uh, we're going to find out what motivates him to go to faraway places and interact with different cultures. So let's get started. The Prince Estate released the album Originals, which is 15 demo songs that uh, Prince wrote for other artists. Many of these songs went on to be 80s pop music staples. Uh, so you're going to hear Jungle Love, Manic Monday, uh, The Glamorous Life. Uh, again, a lot of people have reviewed this album and uh, while they haven't, you know, trash or destroyed it in my understanding. And they seem to try to review it as if it's, it's just another Prince album. And they seem to forget or leave out the fact that again, these many of these songs went on to be hits for other artists and they're all different genres. Uh, there's a country music song that Prince wrote for Kenny Rogers called you're my love. And it's on this album and it's beautiful. Um, I really like hearing this album because growing up, uh, I've always been a Prince fan and I always knew that Prince was, you know, the driving force behind many of the associated groups around him. But this really just, I mean, it just proves it all. Um, really love the version. I'm not going to go track by track on the album. And I will also make sure you check out the show description. I've got links to these songs, the YouTube clips, so you can you can listen to the Prince version. Uh, one of my favorite is uh, Sex Shooter, which, of course, was uh, done by Apollonia 6 and used in the movie Purple Rain. Uh, it's really cool to hear Prince's voice 
and uh, his soul and emotion on this song. Uh, we talked about You're My Love uh, by uh, Kenny Rogers. Well, written by Prince for Kenny Rogers. And, you know, Prince used a pseudonym. And you have to, you know, pretty much, you put one and one together, you know, it was the 80s. Kenny Rogers was straight-laced king of country music. You know, it probably, some A&R person probably said, you know, this isn't going to work with your fan base. If, you know, you've got a beautiful song written by, you know, uh, a man who dances around in high heels and fishnets, you know, what, what are your fans going to say? You're going to, you're going to lose out, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Prince used a pseudonym and, uh, the song's a hit for Kenny. Uh, this is Prince's version of it. Uh, sung with so much passion, soul and emotion. Again, uh, make sure you check it out. Uh, Prince's take on the glamorous life, it really gives you gives you an idea and you the blueprint for you know the song uh, and he plays it out to a T and and you look back and you compare it to the Sheila E version and of course they're they're very similar but then you start to appreciate after you listen to them both you start to appreciate the things that she added to the song uh let's see Manic Monday of course, uh, a hit for the Bangles, written by Prince. Uh, hearing his version, really, to me, it comes across as even more psychedelic. And I uh, really like all the chord changes, just the way the song progresses. It's really, really worth a listen. Uh, Jungle Love, everybody's 80s favorite music classic. It takes me back. And um, really, I recently watched uh, Tales from the Tour Bus. And they uh, interviewed uh, More Stay in the Time. Terrific show. If you ever get to watch it, uh, they've had some great seasons. But uh, seeing, uh, hearing, <laughs> hearing Jungle Love done by Prince, uh, it's terrific. It, it really, really lets you know and really gives you an appreciation of uh, his creativity. Again, this is an artist who wrote, produced music for you know, not just R and B, not just rock. I mean, country, funk. I mean, his guy. He could do it all. He could do it all, and he did it well. Uh, another favorite track of mine is uh, another uh, cut made popular by the time. Gigolos get lonely too. It, it's a slow song, beautiful, beautiful ballad, and um, I've always thought, I've always said, this is mo- one of the most underappreciated. Uh, slow songs from that time period, but it is really a great song, and um, really hearing the way Prince uh, emotes <laughs> I, again, like I said, you compare it to uh, the uh, what Morris Day did with it, and they're they're both fantastic versions. But it's uh, it's really cool to go back and say, man, you know, this guy. You know, he had so much music to put out. We, you know, we we look at the record company saying, you know, you, you can't put out all this music at one time. You'll saturate the market. People get tired of you. So what does he do? Well, okay, you know, I'll I'll make these bands. You know, I'll put these groups together. You know, and uh, I'll get I'll get it out of my system that way. So it's a beautiful thing. If you have a chance, make sure you get your hands on originals. So you can uh, get a closer look at uh, Prince in the creative mode. 
You are listening to the Wreckage Stove Podcast. I'm John Champion, and I have the pleasure of talking with the podcast's very first guest. I'm talking with Pete Smuts. How are you, Pete? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. Pete, you are definitely one of my favorite people, a very interesting person, and you've traveled a great deal. And I just want to ask you some questions, Pete. Um, I want to talk to you about your sidekick. Okay. Your sidekick is beautiful, but I don't know the whole story. Explain to me, introduce us to Spanky. All right, sure thing. First off, I'd like to say that I return the compliment. You're one of my favorite people. You're just such an interesting, positive guy, man. Thank you. We don't have enough of those. All right, I had a career in branding before I became a traveler. And nobody wanted to see... 40,000 selfies of a 50-year-old dude going around the world. So I went to Walmart just with, I needed a talisman. And I see this little thing that looks like a demented Hello Kitty. And it took me about 30 seconds. He cost $2.35, and that was it. And we were on the road from there. And now everybody knows Spanky, and nobody knows me anymore. I love it. I love it. That is hilarious, man. That is awesome. And Spanky is definitely your sidekick, man. Everywhere you go, all the beautiful pictures. He doesn't complain. He doesn't eat much. And if I drink too much, he drives home. That's what I'm screaming. See, you can't find a friend like that (laughs) all the time. Now, I kind of jumped ahead. Pete, tell me what got you in to traveling. I know you, you, you probably worked in corporate America. Yeah. Yeah, I did the whole thing, and I chased the dollar for a really long time. And in 2014, not to go into too much detail, but the track I thought, the life I thought I was living just kind of went away. Right. And it took me a couple of years, man. I kind of drifted. And then I came to the realization my son was grown, my responsibilities were fulfilled, the wife was gone, and my dog died. And I said, man, if you wait to start living your best life, you are going to die before you start. And so I retired. And the company I worked for, I was 50 years old, man. They didn't get it. The president of the company flew down because I was a, a pretty good salesman for the company and tried to talk me out of it. And I told him what my plan was. And by the time we were done with lunch, not only was he not trying to talk me out of it, he wanted to come with me. Now, where have you been? Okay, well, I'm, I'm really, in the grand scheme of things, I'm just getting started, okay? All right. Now, in my previous life, I was a diver, and so I've been through Fiji and through the Caribbean and down through Central America, but this is a different kind of travel that I've been doing for the last three years. My first trip was about 50 days. I went out and I hit all the national parks and went up into Canada and went through Calgary and through the Canadian Rockies and saw so many amazing things that that kind of addicted me. Uh, from there, I, I always wanted to surf. So I started training, and I went down to Costa Rica for a month, learned how to surf, and spent some time in the jungle in Costa Rica, and that was cool. And then I went north again. I went up through uh, St. John, Nova Scotia, all the way up into uh, Newfoundland, which I hadn't planned on doing, but I drove from Raleigh. You can drive your car all the way to the top of Newfoundland, St. Anthony, where I saw um, icebergs. There's no way to get from Newfoundland to Labrador, so I had to turn around at that point. Um, Then I got contacted about being a Sherpa in Peru to do a thing called the Salcante Trek. The Salcante Trek, you start in a place called Cusco. You go over the Andes Mountains and through the Amazon jungle to Machu Picchu. And then from there, I kept going. I went to a place called Oyente Tambo and spent some time going around through the ruins there. I'll tell you, Peru is amazing. I uh, took a trip, went through Western Europe, Prague to Budapest. 
Uh, last fall, I did a solo trip in a Jeep, just me and the Jeep and nothing else, all the way around Iceland and out onto the peninsula. And then Tibet was always a dream of mine. I just got back about a month ago from doing a month crossing Tibet. Man, that's amazing. Uh, it's been a hell of a ride, brother. <laughs> and I'm that's not done yet by a long shot. I love it. I love it. Now tell me, why did you go? What's, what's the fire that just makes you say... Man, it, it, it's, it's like crack. The first time I took my first trip, when you travel by yourself... You only have to make one person happy. And you meet so many people because when you travel with a group, you're trying to give that group or that person, that woman, that man, your attention. And when you travel alone, your attention is wide. And I meet so many people. At the end of my trips, I publish a, a page of just the people I've met, all with Spanky, not me, of course. And uh, meeting the people has drawn me on. And it opens your mind. It is impossible to travel, my friend and have a closed mind. You cannot. And I don't care if you're going to the other side of the country, the other side of the world. When you get out there by yourself, out of your comfort zone, and you open up, and you see how people live, and you see the beauty of the world, it'll change the way you look at your everyday life. Man, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, why did you go in? Why did you keep going? Yeah, and so. I'm not I'm not done. I mean, the thing is, I keep trying to find bigger things. Right. You know, there's always... I was. Not to get stuck on this, but I was at Mount Everest the night before all those people started dying last month. Oh. Um, and so there's tragedy along the way. I mean, I, I, but that's five minutes living. after I talked to a guy, I was at uh, Niagara Falls, and I talked to this guy, and I didn't know what his mental state was. Uh -huh. And I turned around, and he jumped. And uh, it blew my mind. It almost stopped me from doing it anymore. And some of the people who followed me said, Hey, man, you can't go back. You can only go forward. Right. And so there's always another mountain to climb. There's always another place to go. And, and by God, there's always a whole lot more people to meet. What do you hope to gain by learning about other cultures? Gain, huh? That's a tough one, brother. <laughs> um, I am on the road, really, to becoming my best self. Now, the places I go... They're just kind of ways for me to do that. You can find your best self in anything that you do. If you're a carpenter or a plumber or a lawnmower or whatever you do, you can find your, your best self there. What I found is when I travel and I meet all these different people and I learn so much about there's so many different ways of looking at life. And if you trap yourself into one view of life, you are missing it. And I so agree. for me, the thing, the more and more going places... Is partially to challenge myself. I think that if we don't challenge ourselves once in a while, we never know what we're capable of. And uh, if you don't get outside your comfort zone from time to time, your comfort zone will get smaller and smaller and smaller until you're living in a cage that you built. Now, the thing that got you and I in the same circle of people was music. And uh, I love music. I, I love I all do kinds too, of music. All kinds of music. And you play and you sing beautifully. Oh, you're um, too generous. Oh, man. And uh, I've seen you out, you know, doing uh, doing your show, singing, showing pictures from your trips. Um, can you tell me what's, a, what's it like? What's, a, what's it feel like? Does it feel like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm educating the public, I'm encouraging people to get out there more? Mostly before I get on, 
it's just scaring the shit out of me, man. <laughs> Truth be told, um, some of the stuff I do, I do it because it scares me. And by overcoming things that scare you, you expand your horizons and you become afraid of less things. But playing in front of people is still the scariest thing I do until I start doing it. And then people are asking questions and it's, it's more about these experiences I have are amazing things. And if I can share them with some other people, then maybe it's not so selfish. And so I'm doing this thing regardless. But if I can share it with people, and who knows, maybe somebody gets inspired, maybe they start traveling, maybe somebody does something they've been thinking about doing for 20 years and they just never did it. And what I'm here to tell you is, do the damn thing. Do it. You know, I've been in holes in my life before and I've had almost every friend I've ever known that I've been close enough with has told me about holes they've been in. You cannot think your way out of a hole. You must move physically. You must do. And so wherever your situation is, if you're feeling down, you're feeling lost, you're feeling like the world ain't giving you what you're supposed to have, mm-mm, start moving. Get up and do something. You want it to be a painter? Start painting. You want it to see New Orleans? Go to New Orleans. You want to play guitar? Start playing guitar. But whatever it is that you thought about doing when you were 12, and now you're in your 30s, 40s, or 50s, it's time to do, not to think. And so, for me, it's all about, I decide something I'm going to do, and I just start working. What do I have to do to be able to do this? Tibet was a really tough one, because you have to get a Chinese visa, and I had to kind of lie to the Chinese government a little bit to get the visa, because they don't want anyone to go to Tibet. And uh, At the end of the thing, I actually got taken into custody a couple of times for going to Tibet. That's a different story. But it took me six months to get the visas and permits and everything I needed to. And if I'd thought about everything I had to do at the beginning, I never would have done it. But I did one thing. Just do one thing. Take one step. Do a search on the internet about something that you're interested in or, or make a phone call. The hardest part is the first step. And once you make the first step, then maybe nothing happens for a couple days and maybe then there's something else. You write a letter, you fill out a form, or you submit an application, or you, you learn more. You start asking for time off in the future to do this thing you want to do. But Everything we want to do in life that's cool is inconvenient. And so you got to break the inertia of not doing anything and just do something, man. Take one step, do something, and your life will change from the most tiny little thing that you do if you do instead of think. Man, that's awesome. I really want to hear more about Tibet. And uh, there's a story you told me. We're going we're gonna to go to a break and... Uh, uh, there's a story I really want to ask you about. <laughs> All right, it's man. hilarious. All right, you are listening to the Rekka Stowe Podcast. You can hear this podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Castbox, Castbox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. The question is, where can't you hear this podcast? That's man. what I'm screaming. All right, we are coming back to talk more with Pete Smuts right after this. back on the podcast talking with Pete Smuts. I came out to an, an event out in Youngsville, North Carolina 
where um, you were showing slides and playing music and talking about your travels. And you told this story that I just thought was amazing. And I'd like you to share it with us. Absolutely, man. Uh, when I first got into Lhasa, Tibet, I got off the train and this uh I got arrested within three minutes. I put taken into custody within three minutes of getting to Lhasa because I'm six inches taller than all the Tibetans and I look like a foreigner. And before I even got to the gate, they pointed me out and took me to a room. When I got to that room, it was just for processing. They knew I was a foreigner and pro- foreigners had to be processed. And my driver was there, thankfully. Well, he's driving me back, but, but before he does, he picks up two Russian women and two guys from Serbia. The two Russian women he puts in a cab and they go off. The two Serbians and me get in the car with him. Now, we don't make it two blocks when one of the Serbians says, in English, I need some super glue. And I look over at him and he's holding in his hand and there is a tooth in his hand and he looks at me and smiles with a big hole in his smile. (laughs) And so the driver says, okay, yeah, 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 and starts driving. And while we're driving, one of the things I learned is that, you know, people in Tibet can never get a passport. Never. They are denied from the Chinese government. So you start to realize there are places on earth where people truly live without freedom. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we get done with that story and he, the driver pulls over and we're at a dental office. And so the four of us go in. Pretty soon a woman comes out and takes the Serbian into the back. His friend goes with him and the driver goes with him and I sit out front awkwardly while these Tibetan people look at me like I just gave birth to a Miata okay (laughs) so I'm just sitting there trying not to look as awkward as I feel and about three minutes later the Serbian comes bursting out of the back followed by his friend and our driver and the driver comes over to me and says they wanted to put a bridge on and the Serbian wants nothing to do with that (laughs) so he's standing out in front of the place in Tibet and he says, I just need super glue. And the driver says, we don't have anything called super glue here. And he starts calling some of his friends around. He's on the phone and we don't know what he's saying because it's in Tibet. And this guy shows up and he says, I don't have that, but I have some truck glue. And since that was all we could get, the Serbian takes the truck glue and we head off to our hotel. We get to the hotel and in the lobby, my guide, I hired a guide to help me get across Tibet. They say he's coming in in about an hour to meet me once I hang out. So I hang out, and I'm talking with different people and stuff, and about 20 minutes later, Serbian and his friend come down, and he is sporting a brand new truck glue smile. And the moral of this story is, if you don't have dental insurance, or you get there and it isn't covered, or you find yourself with your tooth in your hand in a foreign land, fret not, just go to an auto parts store and get yourself some truck glue. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad his mouth opened later. You I'll know. tell you, man. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll send you a picture of him smiling in the lobby, oh, and you can't you. tell he's got a truck glue smile. Wow. That's awesome, man. That is a, a hell of a story. I love it. I love it. Now, tell me something. Through your travels... I climbed Mount Salcante, gotcha. and I did the Kora around Mount Kalesh, gotcha. which is the holiest mountain in Buddhism in Tibet. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. That is awesome, man. But I, I, don't want, I don't want anybody thinking I did not summit Mount Everest, and it. don't plan to. You got it's it. It's a good place to die, man. You understand, understand. <laughs> you, you touched on that. You touched on that. So you actually interacted with some of these people. Uh, that, not, that, well, they were already up on the mountain. I got in I got into base camp, China base camp. There's two base camps. There's one in Nepal and one in China because Everest is right on the border between between Tibet and Nepal. Okay. I got in at 4 p.m. 
and I'm with a, a guy from Sweden and a guy from Brazil. Uh-huh. And we're so hot to get up on the mountain that we don't even grab water or anything. We just go start going up as far as we can get up the mm. mountain. And so we get to about 20,000 feet, something like that. I'm not sure exactly. But we're not, we didn't bring water or anything. And the sun is starting to go down. And there's clouds everywhere, okay? And now, What's our, the temperature like now? Um, Right then, it was pretty comfortable. I mean, I'd say it was like maybe... 55 or 60. Okay. Uh, very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Our guide comes up and there's clouds around the summit and he says, look, man, people come here sometimes and they're here for a week and a half and the clouds never part. So you might want to just take the pictures you can take, get what you can because it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So we want to see the sun go down. So we're waiting and around 8 p.m., the clouds part, man. And there's these beautiful shots and I'll give you some of them if you want to put them on your site mm-hmm. of Everest with the sun going down right. on May 19th. We stayed up there too long, and we didn't bring water like idiots. So I got altitude sickness, and so did both of them, and we're taking caffeine pills during the night. None of us can sleep. So we get up at 5 to climb back up the mountain to watch the sunrise. And it was just incredible, man. It's, it's How do you explain it? Now, it was significantly colder. When the sun went down, it went down to around 5 or 6 degrees. Wow. And when we went up in the morning, as we're going up, you know, it gets colder as you go up. Mm-hmm. It probably got down zero or below but it was we're all so high on where we are that we finally come down around eight o'clock and then we see all this stuff going on and uh then we found out that two people had died now the tough thing is is you don't know what to do in that situation you want to help there's really nothing we can do we're not among the teams and they have teams set up to, su- to support them all and stuff and so we took a moment of silence and one guy had a bottle so we passed the bottle around and then we had to get our heads back in the game because we had three days to drive and then we were climbing Mount Kailash. And so we couldn't focus on that. But yeah, every day as we went along, then, you know, like three people died the next day and five people the next day. And it was this just really surreal pall over the whole thing. How could we be there when this was going on? Or, right. you know, man. That's, yeah, that's what it was. Wow, that's, uh, that, that, that'll, uh, That'll really make you pause and think and like evaluate the whole... If it doesn't, you're not paying attention. I understand. Was there any point during all that when you said to yourself, what am I doing? Oh, no, no. But um, the day after Everest, um, our bus got stuck. And I did ask myself at that point. Um, See, in in China, the Chinese government does all the road construction. Mm -hmm. And so they don't put up detours. They don't give warnings or anything. Dude with a machine gun walks out on the street, and that road is closed. And it is closed until whoever the head of the construction site decides when it to be. And we got used to this, okay? We had to stop for two hours or an hour or half an hour several times. But day after Everest, we're heading toward Kailash, and we're coming down a hill with a bunch of cutbacks. You just drive back and forth to make it down the hill. And we run into one of these stops, and we're the first one stopped. And our driver's afraid. They're all afraid of the government because truly... They can just take you away, and you will disappear, and no recourse, and nothing. So about after 20 minutes, the driver goes up, and he asks this guy, and when he comes back, he doesn't speak English, and he is pissed off, man. And he talks to the guide, and the guide tells us, well, he asked him when road will open. Guy say tomorrow. So this guy takes the bus and turns off the road and starts driving down the hill in the dirt in the bus. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what happened. We got stuck. Mm. So we all get out. We pull out rocks. We put them onto the tires. We get the bus unstuck. I actually have a video of us getting the bus unstuck. And we're all cheering ourselves and thinking so great of ourselves that about 40 seconds later, we got stuck again. 
And this time we weren't going anywhere. Oh, the driver man. spun the tires and everything, and the bus just locked in. Oh. Cars wanted to get past us. This one truck rolled himself over. Some guys came out, pushed him upright, and he drove his little mangled ass truck. <laughs> down the hill he just wanted to get wherever he was going he wanted to get there fast wow. but about five hours later another bus came we tied a rope from our bus to that bus and he pulled us back up and then we went a different way down and made it to the road and kept going but when we were there I was I was never frightened but there was times when I thought yeah dude what the hell <laughs> man now I'm going to ask you a, a difficult question. You've been to a lot of places. What's the most beautiful thing you've seen or the most beautiful moment or something that you just say, oh, this... Birth this of my what... son, man. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Traveling is awesome, and I have seen so many beautiful mountain ranges, and there's just there's so many cool places to go, and I'm just getting started. I'm going to Africa next. Yeah. Um, but you don't know what the most beautiful thing is because when you're there in the moment... It's the beautiful, most beautiful thing. And then you go on somewhere else and it's like, wow, man, this is even cooler. And so there's so much cool stuff in life that if you start looking for the cool stuff instead of dwelling on what your life doesn't have or the bad stuff in your life, you start to find more cool stuff. Now, you mentioned you're going to Africa. Where in Africa? Yeah, well, I want to climb Kilimanjaro and then I want to do the Serengeti and uh I've heard there's a guy who can get me onto the Island of Spice, so I might go over there. And then I'm, I'm also working on Antarctica. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I got a friend that says he can get me from Chile to Antarctica, but we'll see. Now, you've got you've got some friends in cool places. Well, you make go. friends. That's what happens when you travel, man. That is what's up. Now, I've been to Mombasa, Kenya. Oh. And uh, Kenya, Kenya's cool. Kenya's cool if you ever get to check that out. How difficult is it to do this, as to, to put it all together, to plan it? There's nothing special about me, but I will tell you that since I started doing this, I lost 40 pounds without trying. Now, each thing I wanted to do required me to be ready to do that thing. And so, when I first started, I was driving the car, so I didn't have to do that much. But when I wanted to surf in Costa Rica, I had to do some yoga, and I had to get in better shape. And then, when I signed up without really knowing to be a Sherpa in Peru... I found out after I said I'd do it what it was I'd signed up to do. And so I had two months to get ready, and I lost 25 pounds training for that one. Maybe. It's easier now. Once once you get in shape, it's easier to stay in shape. I'll tell you this, truly. I had trained my whole life, okay? And training is boring, and it's hard to stay motivated to do it. If you set yourself a goal where you have to be in a certain shape or have to be able to do something at a certain time, the training all of a sudden becomes automatic because you're so scared of not being ready for that thing um and so that's that's another reason why i always have something i'm aiming at because it makes the climb easier if that makes any sense at all you're not thinking about the training you're thinking about um, i've got to be able to climb this mountain the fear and uh you're saying fear being in front of people performing. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> and it, that blows my mind because I'm thinking, okay, my biggest fear would be, you know, I'm, I'm my mindset is, is this rope going to hold? Is it, you know, is do I have enough gear? You know, those things. But, but see, that's what gets me off. Uh -huh. It's being in that moment where you have to think. Everything's fluid. 
but you have control in that, okay, am I prepared? Is this rope ready? If it isn't ready, then I ain't going to do it. How else am I going to do this thing I was going to do? You're responsible for yourself. And you're making all these decisions. And when you complete one of those things, you realize, hey, man, I can do this. And like I said, there is nothing special about me. I just started doing. And as you do, you learn. I mean, you don't start out going to Tibet. You start out doing something that you are just a little bit uncomfortable with. And you do that and you're able to do it. And then all of a sudden, something that you would have been wildly uncomfortable with, you're only a little bit uncomfortable with. And you do that. And it's the same in any aspect of life. You don't go out and fly a jetliner. You go out and you take one lesson. Or you ride in a small plane with somebody. But it's all those little steps that add up to huge, immense changes in the quality of your life. So we were talking earlier about music and um, how we got to be around each other, hanging out at a, at a cool tavern with some <laughs> cool people and uh, just enjoying good music. Who are some of your favorite artists? I see you wearing a Jimi Hendrix shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Jimmy was the one for me growing up. I mean, but I like a really wide variety of music. And, mm-hmm. and for me, it's more about whoever's putting it out there are they? Is it coming from down in here? You know, are they really putting something out? But uh, everybody from we had talked about earlier yeah, about George about Clinton and Prince is oh, obviously yeah. just a genius, but yeah. also Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and Stevie Ray Vaughan oh, and yeah. there's so many artists that have so much talent uh, musically. I'm just doing my thing, man. You know, and, and sometimes people dig it, maybe some people don't, but I'm just doing my thing and trying to make it authentic. And so when I see somebody who's amazingly talented, like Prince, um, and he's doing his thing, it elevates. You know, it kind of elevates everybody who's there. Uh, And if if any, if you've ever seen Prince, which I know you have, it's it's one of those experiences that elevates you. Oh yeah, the master showman. Yeah, truly, truly. Take another break, and when we come back, uh, would you play a little something for us? Sure. Want to ask you when you were in your travels? Have you had the opportunity, I'm sure you have, I've, to I've, play I've and played on four continents. That's what's up. That's what I'm Sure, yeah, I'll do, I'll do one of my original things. You got it. I was hoping so. All right, you are listening to the Recasto Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back on the Recasto Podcast. I'm talking with Pete Smuts, and Pete has the guitar out. I'm a happy person. Pete, what are you going to play for us? Uh, This is something I wrote. It's about being present, being in the moment, and it's called Atmosphere. I'm going down to the river Gonna open up my mind Going down to the river Gonna see what I can find Might be evidence of God I might go blind I'm gonna find a religion That'll set my spirit free Gonna find 
Might be on a mountain top or in the deep blue sea. Might be on a mountain top or in the deep blue sea. I'm gonna live in the moment. Gonna truly savor now. Gonna live in the moment when I finally figure out. I live in the atmosphere and not look down. I live in the atmosphere and not look down. Website or you're on social media where people? Um, yeah, I, I I have my own Facebook account, which unfortunately everyone can't get to. But I started a site if you just want to see about Tibet. Uh, that's called Pete and Spanky's on the Cheap Expeditions. Now I may go back and put some of my other trips on, but that kind of walks you through day by day going across Tibet, and there's a lot of pictures and uh, some cool stories. That is awesome. That's what we're looking for. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that link and I'm going to put it in the show description so everybody can awesome. click on that and really enjoy the stories, the songs, the pictures, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, Pete. You're a, you're an amazing person. So and, are you, uh, bro. You're very genuine. You're good to people. Like I said, we, we come from wildly different backgrounds, but you are just you and so many people that I've met in uh, Youngsville, Rollsville. Uh, it's interesting the way that I connected with those folks. Uh, just another good person said, hey, you know, uh, there's a club owner trying to put together a comedy show. And those folks have just been great to me. And they're not from where I'm from. They're nothing. But they have been, they bent over backwards. Hey, what can we do to help you? Hey, what can we? So, and that's such a, a great community of folks. So, Positive that, energy attracts, my friend. You got it. You got it. And that's going to do it for our first ever episode of the Recca Stowe podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A special thanks to Pete Smuts for being our first ever guest. Make sure you look for links to Pete's page, which will take you to more pictures and more exciting adventures. You'll find it in the uh, episode description, so make sure you check that out. Also, you'll find links to many of those print songs that we discussed, and you'll catch this show weekly. Give a like to our Facebook page, The Recosto Podcast. Keep an eye on that for updates.
and bye-bye.